Dr. Draper, welcome back. Uh, it's been a while since we had this conversation. Uh, we've, we've enjoyed the opportunity to sort of talk through some of the issues related to the Ukraine-Russian war that we kind of figured would still be grinding on. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is not a 90, this is a 90 day war, like no, the civil war, right? It's gonna no. end in 90 days. Yeah, by Christmas. By Christmas, yeah, right? Every yeah. war is supposed to end by Christmas. Right. Yeah, someone, someone, once, someone said to me recently that the world moves quickly in politics and slow in war. Yeah. And there's probably truth to that. Yeah. So one of the things I think we can anticipate is this, this is gonna be long. I think in the modern time, we haven't seen wars drag on. Other than small military conflicts, we don't call wars. Afghanistan, for example. Mm -hmm. I think um, it was a police action. It's a police action. Um, but we haven't seen a, a full-scale military operation go this long. And I think there's a lot of anticipation that someone's going to come to their senses here, wake up, and this is all just going to go away. Well, it is the 21st century. I thought we'd <laughs> we don't We don't do this kind of stuff mm -hmm. anymore. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, human Not sin at this scale, yeah, just sort of yeah. stopped in uh, in the year 2000. Um, but And I think there's a lot we could talk about in relationship to the events happening recently. But maybe the way to think this through um, together is... Where does this all go? Um, we could do a you know a week by week, but this is going to change and change and change, yeah. and we imagine this is going to go on for some time. Question is, where is this, where is this all going to land? How, yeah. how does this? I don't know if you remember seeing the Truman Show, the old movie. Yeah, with the, yeah, yeah. And the and the pin that everyone wore was how is it going to end? Right, right. Was, right yeah, that, I think that's the question we're all. We, we want to put that Putin on that pen on. Put the pin on. Put Putin. the pin on Putin. When yeah. is this going to end, and how is it going to end? Yeah. So. We've got some options here, Dr. Draper, that we've talked through different worldview approaches, right? There's different ways, yeah. different historiographical approaches to this war. That's one way to look at this. Let's look at the possibility that this thing ends, not soon, but ends in some sort of peaceful negotiation. Yeah. Or does this thing end with a total obliteration? Or does this end with Russia collapsing in on itself and creating a massive vacuum in Siberia? Like. In your thought, we've got, what, what are our options? And then yeah. let's, let's look at them. Yeah, and I think, again, we're looking at this as historians. We're not yeah. strategists. So we're looking at the past as an example. Right. Um, the Probably the worst case scenario would be that NATO gets involved and there's a mm. nuclear right. attack, right? Right. Um, what conditions do you think would have to happen for us to find ourselves in that situation? That one, I, I just don't know. I mean, I it was we were talking before, I kind of playing alternative history mm. and it's like would america have gotten involved in world war ii yeah. with the holocaust as bad as the holocaust was if germany was a nuclear power right right i mean is that is that a, the ultimate checkmate right. right now um and it seemed as if for most the cold war at least you know since 45 that there's been some sort of stability and we've had our proxy wars in, in right. vietnam and russia's had theirs and afghanistan yeah and then there's always russell widely the, the famous uh military historian from temple university mm. who said that in some ways the nuclear bomb kept the peace yeah. in some way yeah. right it yeah. kept the russians and americans yeah, from going at each other it's, yeah it's the only weapon you build never to use exactly and, but now here we are again right, right. in 2021 here we are 30 years after the... This is MacArthur, years and, after MacArthur the, and North Korea here. Yeah, right. Yeah, Except it, on the shoes on the other foot. Exactly, maybe. right. I mean, so is, is Biden Truman? Yeah, right. Um, so that's that's the challenge. So that's, the I think, the biggest fear. Um, Can I go back to that for a minute? Because yeah. I, I think you're right, and I think this is the fear. And there's, there's some people that seem to be pushing for a war at all costs. Russia has to be stopped. And to me, the argument seems, and I've, I've talked with students about this, it seems to be coming from a perspective that there's an ideological wrong going here mm -hmm. that at all costs must be righted. And one of the things that seems to me, and this does happen, and I, I, if I were to ask, if I were to say, how would you frame even Hitler's, let's say, um, moves in World War II prior to this? I think he probably had some sort of that ideological mentality. There was a great evil called mm -hmm. communism. It was a global problem. Capitalism was a problem. You fight at all costs to end it, in which case there's there's no upper barrier to what you won't do, yeah. right? You, you would just keep doing. 
Um, in this case, I think like that, to me, I could see, I don't know if it'll happen. My, my guess is, I don't know what yours is, is that the possibility of that is rather low. But still, I can hear some people, I'm hearing some people, trying to turn this war into an ideological war of civilization. If we don't stop Russia, democracy will fall everywhere. Well, that's exactly Zelensky how and Ukraine is talking about it. Right. Yeah. And, it, and they're buying it. Not, not that Ukraine shouldn't be defended, but if it is the, let, let's say, you know, this is the, this is the, the stop gap is Ukraine. If Ukraine falls, democracy around the world tumbles. Yeah. What length wouldn't you go to then? And is to stop the is fall that of Ukraine? the same old domino theory that got us right. in Vietnam? No, it's exactly right. Well said, um, yeah. Good example. Or Korea. Um, but I think the difference here is most of the people that are saying this are from countries that had prior been under the Russian boot. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, the, it's the Baltic region. It's the former Soviet states. Yeah. They're the ones who are saying Putin's not done. Yeah. He's not going to stop at Ukraine. Right. They, right. And what, for whatever reason, they, they have that sort of view from history. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little different, I think, yeah. in Vietnam yeah. and, and some of those others. But you're right. You're right. And again, you could go to Vietnam. If Russia would have gotten decided to physically yeah. step into that war, would that have changed yeah. the, the, the dynamics? Uh, so I think that's the worst part, right? That, that would be worst case scenario. Yeah. Um, I think the um, the next sort of level of worst case scenario is that Russia just levels Ukraine and yeah. there's nothing there, right. uh, which has been a military method in Chechnya and other places yeah, for the Russians, right? right? right. Uh, so that would probably be sort of worst case scenario there, or second you yeah. know, up above. Um I think there's a lot of people in the West that are playing the long game and mm. hoping that this actually undoes Putin. Right. Um, there's a number of people who have done some work on autocrats and, and dictators mm. and uh, similar to um, Hannah Arendt. Hannah Arendt. Yeah, Arendt. Arendt. yeah. But there's others actually working on this. And there is sort of a, a psychological analysis mm. of what autocrats look like, yeah. particularly when they get isolated and you can compare Mussolini and Hitler and Saddam Hussein and, and, and all these people. There's, there's, a, there's a sort of a, a pattern that mm. this follows. Uh, you know, and this could be the undo, could this be the undoing mm. of Russia? And, and now this might sound crazy to our, to our listeners, but I'm putting that as sort of number three mm. because they're a nuclear power. Uh, a civil yeah. war in Russia is a scary thing. Yeah, a the scary same thing. way, uh, I mean, we were kids in high school, so we were only paying attention so much, yeah. right? But you know, in the in the '90s, when um, when the Soviet Union fell, the, the West really didn't want that. They yeah. felt like Gorbachev was someone they could work with. Yeah. They could create a stability because what their biggest fear was: what happens to that nuclear arsenal yeah. if this thing goes sideways? Right. Um, and then I think the, the, the sort of the next level is there is that somehow Ukraine's going to have to negotiate a deal. Yeah. They're going to have to. There's got to be some sort of deal. There's got to be some sort of give and take. Um, and, and I'll add, I'll add a, maybe another one there. I think another piece would be as if another worst case scenario uh, could be to if, if Putin refuses any deal. Yeah. You know, he, he, he's not going to stop until he's on the border right. of Poland. Right. That's going to be really dot. That's that's real dicey. Yeah. Right. And here's a real another reality. I mean, what if Putin does decide to launch something in Lithuania, who yeah. is a a NATO power? Right. All of a sudden, the fear of nuclear war. Like yeah. you have to go. Right. You have to do it. I mean, well, that's, that's the paper says you have to. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> is is exactly. Europe going to risk its survival over Lithuania and Estonia? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but your in your example, I think the the. Is the because I think you've got two 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 at play there with the Ukraine being basically you know flattened in the process, yeah. Or the other one, him not him not quitting. 
until it's over. Now, I guess the difference between those two is whether or not Zelensky and the Ukrainians simply just give up at some point in mm-hmm. order to preserve life. Or is there nothing left? Right, before there's nothing left. Um, if they decide, and I've, I've often said that the pace of this war is going to be set by the resistance. The more they resist, the longer this is going to go, which to me says more bloodshed mm-hmm. in the long run. The, the quicker Putin wins, the, and that, that sounds terrible because I'm not at all recommending in any way that Putin, yeah. but I think the reality, and I, I've, I think I've come to this conclusion more over talking and reading than I had before, is that Putin's not going to stop. Right. Um, in his mind, he can't. And, and to think through from multiple levels, what it means historically, where he thinks the Russian Confederation and all the Slavs need to be yep. to have support, that kind of thing. But also as a dictator to save face, walking out of Ukraine is, is the end of him. Yes. And probably the end of his government. Yeah. Unless it can't be something he can show an exact victory to. Yeah. So if you say, well, if he gets knocked off, the one way he guarantees himself getting knocked off is he walks out of Ukraine. Yeah. So it seems to me there's no way he doesn't keep fighting until either Russia collapses yeah. or the Ukraine collapses. Or that, he gets something that he can say, look, we won. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that, and that again, comes down to, I think, what the, the, the meter, the clock is going to be set here by, by yeah. the rebels, by, not the rebels, I'm sorry, by the Ukrainians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the national Ukrainians. They're going to set the tone on this. And yeah. I think it's a terrible, terrible decision to be faced with to say, I can save lives here if we concede on something and give up our national identity, yeah. or we're going to fight for something we're willing to die for, but we could kill the country in the process. Yeah. Well, I mean, and in, in, in we were at lunch one time with a gentleman who made a very interesting observation about our own civil war, and he said, in some ways, you know, Robert E. Lee, because he was such a good general, uh, extended the punishment of the South, mm. right? Had they not had someone like yeah, Lee, right. they might have gotten knocked out <clears throat> really quick, and, and it wouldn't have been as dire. But because right. he was so good in Jackson, they were able to hold out for four years. and in Just time, destroyed the South. Exactly, Just exactly, which is an interesting right. uh, yeah, phenomenon. Interesting, it right? is. Yeah. It's, 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 so you could say the same thing about Ukraine. They're yeah. so good at defending themselves at what cost. I think the other thing that's interesting about this war, too, <clears throat> is that it, it's very defensive on Ukrainian mm-hmm. side. There's very... A uh, few offensive attacks, right. uh, except when they're pushing them out, yeah. right? But you have not seen Ukraine doing bombing raids on Russia other than that one oil right. uh, refinery right. just across the border. Um, you know, does that happen? Does did we get to a situation where Ukraine has long range missiles and they're now yeah. dropping stuff on Moscow? Yeah. Does that just raise? And I think, uh, I think what we have here is the West wants a limited war. Yeah. They want a limited war. And I think Putin wants a limited war. I think Putin went in with the idea of a limited war. And Ukraine obviously doesn't want to go a long way in a total war. The problem is this, though. And and again, I'm I'm in this this semester, I'm teaching two sections of the Civil War. (laughs) So it's in my head. But in some ways, the war takes on a life of its own. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the the circumstances you might go in with will be done by Christmas, limited war. And then as the thing unfolds, yeah. it becomes a war of conquest or other annihilation survival, or survival. Defense, yeah. And all of a sudden, what started off as a limited war where both sides thought they could smack each other around is now a full total right. war right. on both sides. Right. Uh, that's that's a real scary. Right. And that's not a position I think Ukraine wants to be in. Yeah. Um, and I don't think the West wants to be in that. Yeah. I don't think they want the entire um, Russian economy well, that, so so these two things in there I think are really worth worth hovering on. One being that since since we haven't been through this, um, and and all our movies happen, all our wars happen in movies where yeah. there's a start and an end, and and we're waiting for the plot twist, and then the good guy does it, and then the, then the war ends. 
that's not how wars are. And no. like even even America in 1943, wondering whether they would win the darn thing yeah. in World War II or not, was still an open-ended. And the strategies had to change. It was a far, although in our minds it was fairly clear, World War II was very messy strategically, yeah. very yeah. messy. So I think that's 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 one point I think you're right at. The other point in what you just said, and I think this is equally frightening, if not more frightening for me, is is what you said earlier, which is a broken Russia. Yeah. Not only because they have they have the more nuclear weapons than any other power in the world. So, you know, rebels, Chechenian rebels, Georgian rebels, somebody gets in there, you know, some people group in the fight, decides to grab up what they can. They're a non-state in one sense. They can use those in different ways. Nuclear material can be pulled out and yep. used in, you know, in yeah. black markets. Oh, yeah, yeah. All that's dangerous. But then even, you know, we've never contemplated, I don't think, since Ivan the Fourth, we've never contemplated a vacuum in Russia. No. And what happens if there's a political vacuum in there and then China starts moving in there? Does does yeah. Iran, I mean, all of a sudden this becomes this becomes the new fight is over the carcass. Yeah. Well, right? and we already have a place now where uh, a lot of economists have have uh, opined that when the Russian economy and the stock market really tanked, China just walked in and bought up all the stock. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it, it which, you know, they've done that to us. Right. right. Uh, but. So in other words, now you have a situation where economically it is in China's interest for this to succeed in yeah, some way. Right. If they have indeed done yeah. what the what the economists have thought, yeah, then they, they want to see that they want to see the. They stock need some sort. Of, they need a cock, They need a carcass that is producing. Right. Yeah. Right. And so it's it's a global issue. Right. There's another part of this too that some people have talked about is the fact that Ukraine is a breadbasket. Yeah. And. The very fact that this could actually explode into global upheaval, there nothing gets riots and revolts yeah. going like hunger's, bread riots. Hunger's the best. And in fact, there was a gentleman, uh, I believe I heard him on NPR, he was talking about the, the, the uh, Arab Spring. Mm -hmm. And he mm -hmm. said, in some ways, that was precipitated by a bread shortage. Yeah. Uh, he went on to say that in Egypt... Um, Egypt has been subsidizing the price of bread, at least since the 1970s, right. to keep peace. That's right. Um, what happens when, and as it is now, imagine that. Like, imagine if yeah. a loaf of bread was the same price now as when we were kids. Yeah, right. Um, and, and, and so what happens when you can't do that? And then you throw in the fertilizer piece, and now oh, you've got God. a hunger yeah. issue. So, so not only can I make you, keep you cold in the winter and turn out your lights, I can starve you. Right. right? And, right. and is that going to create... More of it, and so I think this is this is where this thing can get really unwieldy, and this is where war takes on a life. Yeah, of its own. and and to, and to your point, this is where I think we have to be really cautious not to idealize how this goes, because you could you could fight for ideological reasons that can in fact practically kill you. Yeah. Um, the fact you brought bread is is interesting because in this, there's so many examples. French Revolution is an yeah. example of that. Russian Revolution is an example mm -hmm. of that. Uh, and the but, Confederacy. And the Confederacy. And Rome. Yeah. For heaven's sake, Rome fails when yeah. it can't keep the grain shipments up to its own citizens. Exactly. Right? And people start get hungry, and all of a sudden you've got armies turning on armies and the whole thing. That's right. So, you know, yeah, you, we can't even contemplate for no. all of our well-planned strategies. When that happens, and you then have those problems, this thing goes sideways in a way you probably wouldn't even predict. Who yeah. gets on whose no side? No one would have imagined. No, you couldn't see it happening. And I think that's that's the other thing where historians make bad profits, because there are times where you just can't imagine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No one would have imagined World no. War II ending the way it did. Yeah. Uh, not in 1941 no, for the Americans. No. Um, so I, I think one thing I I remember reading about uh, Eisenhower, reading his biography and some of his autobiographical stuff, and he made this very interesting statement about all the work and all the training they did for the Normandy invasion. Mm. And he said, but here's the thing about war. 
the minute the first bullet is fired, it takes on a life. Of it. Yeah, all the plans, right? You, you know, the like, best you so could. you have yeah, your plans, yeah. but you always so that's just in the combat. Yeah, okay, right. that's just in not combat. in the economics, not, not in, in economics, the not in so, exactly, yeah. exactly right. I mean, so you know, uh, you get a World War II, and you know, you, you storm Normandy, and next thing you know, Mussolini's hanging upside down in a gas right. station. Right, new dynamic. Right, right. Um, and so this is, or you know, what if one of the uh, Suicide or the uh, assassination attempts would have worked on Hitler yeah, or Stalin, yeah, yeah. new ballgame. Or didn't work on Franz Joseph. Exactly, right? And so what, what, what happens there? So, so you have sort of the military piece, which right. just is its own entity. Right. And then you sort of have the social, cultural, right. political, yeah. economic food right. that can also change everything right. very quickly. Yeah. Um, people who start off very devout for the cause, once they start, there's a rumble in their tummy. It doesn't seem as important right, anymore. Right, and then who your who your allies become in order to solve that problem can change very quickly. I mean, and and so you can have a situation where the war starts off, and it's you know there's a say there's a World War Three, yeah. and it's Ukraine and NATO, and it could end up with the West and China right. united right. together. No, that's right. right. I mean, no, that's right. Is there anything weirder than Stalin and Hitler getting along? Yeah, yeah. China, China and Japan, and sooner or later it's actually America and Japan. At, I mean, at right. Throats. I mean, you yeah. just you just don't know. Right. I mean, that's that's the the uncertainty that's right. there and everyone thinks they know how it's going to play right. out and, and i think that ought to give us pause not not to not make because again more historians are probably best as not the ones making the decisions but i think what that ought to give us pause is actually just to be able to humble that even even our best laid plans whether we're mice or whether we're men yes right could collapse here and so we have to you have to expect that whatever we end up deciding to do even though we're fully convinced it's the right thing couldn't I, I, one of the one of the great examples in recent time for me was what the, what you do with the Assad regime in Syria when they mm -hmm. barrel bomb their people and Obama makes a very I think what at the time was a thoughtful decision to not get involved for yeah. fear that Western involvement would escalate but of course I don't think what he saw coming was by not getting involved he actually opened the door to Russia's mm -hmm. in, because America's not there yeah if if he would have gone in he was worried about how the Syrians would see him he yeah. wasn't at all thinking I don't think really about what the Russians would exactly. do exactly so he decides not to which is a good decision until now Russia trains fighting in Syria for a couple of years which now empowers him to go into Ukraine yeah. or we you know go back to the 70s and we're training the Taliban right right which seems to like fight a the Russians idea. is a great idea and until the butt in, we're fighting them in exactly and then right. that that's just the reality right, right? i mean it, and this, this is where I think, too, we're talking now in very political, historical terms. There's also sort of uh, sort of the Christianly way of thinking yeah, about this and yeah. that, you know, we don't know the future. Yeah. Right? We don't know what God is doing. Yeah. That's why I'm always suspicious of when historians think they know what God was up to. Um, we don't know. Right. We, we just don't know why God's allowing what he's right. allowing and why it's happening the way it's happening. So I think we always have to keep that in yeah. mind that the best laid plans oftentimes right. get waylaid by circumstances. It's not that God was up there saying, yeah. oh, I didn't see that. Right. Uh, we didn't. We didn't see it. We didn't see it. Right. And I think what we're called to really, and this is where I think history is helpful, is wisdom. Wisdom yep. to say this was as confusing for the people that, that made good and dumb decisions back then as it will be for us. And yep. so wisdom really is knowing that we may have to change course. Maybe we have to take different calculations. We have to rethink. I think what what happens so often in the modern politics is we decide lockdown on what's right, and then we refuse to be wise later yeah. about it not working out. And so we double down and double down and double down. And for me, where, you know, as we use the term, and what I think was very common in our own foreign policy back in the Cold War, was this realpolitik, where you use, you make decisions that are morally sketchy mm -hmm. because you know practically it will work. Mm -hmm. Now we'll only do what's right because we don't want to do what's morally sketchy. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I, I fear for that kind of model of doing things, because I think there are things you can't calculate, and there are costs that you're not aware of. 
that at some point you become inflexible. What, one of the ones is this, Dr. Draper, and this is the one that I, I think maybe where some, there's some real misconception in the West, is there seems to be increased talk an increased push to pretend in one sense that Putin is more isolated than he actually is. Mm. We would love to believe that someone who would label evil has no friends, that they're entirely isolated, yeah. that they're locked in, they've become this maniacal person. But we forget that they're behind. Like, like, like that's on the other side of that wall, so it looks like that way. Once you get on the other side of the wall, there's a whole world back there. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. even mentioned China being reinvested. But yeah. if we add India into the picture, mm -hmm. who, who because of increased connections through weaponry and economic that's trade, right. doesn't right. want to cut off with Russia, that's right. Pakistan and yep. China, you're talking about, what, two-thirds, three-quarters of the world's population? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it, it's hard to imagine that, that from our perspective, anyone as evil as Putin would actually have allies. But... And, and, and the one I just brought was Viktor Orban's victory in um, his parliamentary victory in Hungary, where you have a pro-Putin government win yeah. in the middle of this contest. Yeah. And you would think Hungary would be terrified and expansive Russia, but they have reasons why they feel that Putin is probably a better choice than Europe. And so when uh, my wife and I were watching the evening news and the news came on that, that President Biden was meeting with the leader in India mm -hmm. about getting breaking ties with Russia... And her response was, India's dirt poor. Yeah. What does he think they're going to be able yeah. to do? Like, yeah. they might not have options on the table. This is not, this is a country that does have a lot of poverty. Yeah. It is a nation that is certainly up and coming, up and, coming and, and, and could very well be a major uh, economical power in the next 10 years. But right now, yeah, that's right. there's just a reality of like, okay, yeah, I could cut Putin off, but I'm going to starve out 20 million yeah. people where... Because, again, we're talking huge numbers of people. Yeah, we're talking people. billions of people. And the other thing I want to go back to, too, I think that's really important for Americans, if you're listening to this, and we're not just saying this because we're historians and we think it's important. <laughs> it's just you, you will not understand this issue if you don't understand the history. Yeah. Europeans have a much longer history yeah. than yeah. Americans. Yeah. Americans only see in front of their face. Yeah. They're very pragmatic. That Europeans don't operate that yeah. way. Europeans don't operate that way. Most fact, of the world doesn't operate No. That way. In fact, it's interesting. We have, we have some students here from Europe at our school, mm. and they were telling me as children different events they would go to to remember various parts of World mm. War II. They mm. actually would get all the kids to walk out of school and walk to this <laughs> one place that is now Holocaust Memorial because this is where all the, the men in the town were murdered. Mm. And it's a catechesis, mm. right? Mm. It's a catechesis mm. that, they're, that don't forget this. This is part right. of our history. This happens all over the world. Yeah. So history plays a role, and sometimes history is not real politique. Yeah, history right. is emotional. History yeah. is my family, my home. And, and I think when you're in Ukraine, it, it, in, my case, in my thought, it's like, why are you fighting Ukraine? Yeah. Well, they're here. Yeah. You know, it's the same right. reason that half of the Southern guys would say, right. why are you fighting? I wouldn't. You did not come here. down here. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. And so I think that's, that also becomes part of it. When you're protecting hearth and home yeah. versus some abstract principle, yeah. It's a different game. No, I think that's true. And that, that's a helpful reminder, too, because I think even on the Russian side, and we had a panel not too long ago, um, was a, a good reminder that for Russia, present is past and past is present. Mm -hmm. and, they, and there's this Western idea that we've matured into, I think you said earlier, we've matured into some eon mm -hmm. where this is no longer reality. So when they were expanding NATO into these countries, that was just a way of support and aid and friendship. But Russia puts that back in a pattern they've seen. And, and this is the other thing really valuable about history is you learn to see life in patterns. Yep. You don't recreate the machine brand new this year. Yep. The pattern's been set. The, the paradigms, the prototypes have all been out for centuries. And for Russia, they look back and see the pattern very clearly. We, we were not invaded by a foreign power twice, three times Napoleon yeah. in yeah. 200 years to the tune of 20, 30, 40 million people being killed in those fights. 
So those kind of memories don't just dissipate. You live in those histories. That's those right. histories are part of your current mentality. That's right. And, and I know that there's a lot in the Western media going, you're insane if you think Europe would ever attack. But I'm sure Russia was saying that in the, in the, in the 19, in, in 1902, you know, mm -hmm. well, no one's going to attack Russia. Mm -hmm. These alliances are just there because they're mm -hmm. historical alliances. Right. Well, they still got in one, though. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. They're playing those games, too. Yeah. But, but, but what didn't look like, and I think the Jews are a great example of this. I think the Jews have been promised many times, oh, we have no intention of hurting you. Yes. Right. And then another pogrom breaks out or another war breaks out. And the right. Jews pay yet again. And yeah. at some point they go, we're not doing this. We're not, it's not worth taking the risk anymore. That's right. And, and I think for Putin, to your point, I think he's still living in the historical moment oh, yeah. of 200 years of war. And he's not willing to risk another one of those. One, uh, one of the guys that was um, in our panel there, Bill O'Byrne, did it on a map where he showed, if you, if, you, know, if you hadn't seen that video um, in the lecture, is the distance between Berlin and Moscow. Yes. Very is the yeah. same as the distance between Florida and Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Is let that sit for a second. Yes. That for them, for the, for the Russian and the plane from Mo, from Berlin to Moscow is one of the best tank operation planes in the world. It's mm -hmm. flat. Yep. It's uh, even in weather, it's easy to traverse. Yeah. So if an invasion ever happened, Russia would would not stand. True. I mean, it couldn't right. without its nuclear arsenal. It could. Yeah. Stand. Yeah. So so I think you're right. You've got to take into all these complexities. And, and that's the thing. History does shape the way you see the world. That's right. Right. Maybe not here in America. Right. <laughs> but in other parts of the world, there are where And I I think too. And again, we're all part of trying to parse this together yeah. because Vladimir has not said any of this stuff. Yeah. Right. But it, 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 it seems as if, from some of the things that we are hearing and seeing, that he does want to bit roll the clock back. Yeah. You know, he does see, I think it's fair to say, he sees Russia as an alternative to yeah. pan-Slavism right. as a That's response right. to liberal democracy and That's everything right. it stands for. And I know for some people hearing this, they would think, how dare, how would anyone not Why love would anybody? that? <laughs> but there are a lot of people in the world That's who right. don't agree with this. And I think this is... This is this is an interesting thing. I do this with our students all the time. I said I want to give you an example of the, the, the of two presidential elections. Mm -hmm. I said we go to Obama's president. I said what was his slogan, and they said hope and change. Oh, okay, I yeah. said where does that look? They said that looks forward. I mm -hmm. said okay. What was Donald Trump's? Make America great again. Where's that? Where's that look? Looks back. Right. Vladimir's looking back. Yeah. Right. Where the West, Obama's slogan is almost could almost be, the Western world hope and change. There we go. Yeah. Thank you, Hegel. Yeah, right, right. I right, mean, it really is. Right. And so, and again, the average person doesn't kind of get this, right? Yeah. That there is philosophy, there's yeah, epistemology, right. there's an, there's anthropology, there's eschatology baked into right. all this. Right. They right. do have a way they believe the world ought to be. Yeah. And uh, I, social think be, I think it'd be easier to defend Vladimir and say, oh, I can understand he's feeling a little bit if he wasn't doing what he's doing. Right. right. I mean, he's, he's we kind don't of want to give, yeah, 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 give yeah, him the space and time. Yeah, but if he was just pounding his fist at the UN, we might say, okay, I, I can hear, I get it. But the fact where he, what he's done and to the extent, and maybe that's part of the problem, if he sort of sees himself as yeah. some sort of messianic figure, right. those are the scariest people to mess with. They are. But to your point, I think that's a really great, that's a great uh, mental image to have. Because if you look at, and this is something I think too at the West we've forgotten, we, we tend to think in a, you know, we, we've used this before, we, we tend to think everyone is an American with just different clothes on. Yes. Everyone wants the same thing. Like you said, everyone wants a liberal democracy. That's sort of common sense. So anybody that doesn't want that, there's something wrong with them. Or the people do want it, just Putin won't let them have it. Yeah. So he's the angry dictator over this country of people that are just chiming and pushing for liberal democracy. 
What we miss about that is when America goes through things that we call good, like human rights, mm-hmm. um, we say democratic liberalism, that's not a neutral way. That comes with a certain view of human society, about sexual ethics, mm-hmm. about morals, about all these things. What is the good life? So when, right, so when America actually expands through NATO or through economic deals, it's pushing a way of life. Mm-hmm. And that way of life is not universally accepted. Mm-hmm. And, what, and, I, and I've become aware of this recently through conversations in my own reading is how determined so many other peoples are to resist yeah. the push of the European-American way of life yeah. because they have religious and traditional values yeah. that don't make sense of support for homosexuality and gender change. And the more we become vocal as a country about transgender and men swimming on women's teams yeah. and yeah, yeah. sexual ethics... It the gives them ammunition. Well, but doesn't also promote the concept that Western expansion is going to come with culture death yeah. to yeah. you if yeah. you don't believe with these values. And... We see it happen here that you got some people, let's say, on a religious right that feel like every time they expand these sexual ethics, yeah. a way of life is being lost. Mm-hmm. Well, that it's hard to argue that here because yeah. we're still able to survive. But if you live in other parts of the world, you either play ball with America or you lose. Economically, you lose, right, all sorts of ways. So, so yeah. here's the problem, Dr. Draper. If those people feel that America expansion is going to lead to the death of their culture, where are they going to go? Yeah. Right. And the point is China is willing to say, we don't agree with their view. And Russia saying we don't either. And yeah. there's a second axis yes. point being yes. formed yes. where countries like Hungary go, you know what? I don't want, I don't know if this is what Hungary's arguments yeah. are, I don't want that stuff. Right. So yeah, right. Russia's bad, but at least they're not imperializing, forcing me how to live. Yeah. They're not telling me I have to they take on later. certain human rights. <laughs> we'll see how that comes. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But, but for some people, I would dare say, and I've, I've read this, so I think it's fairly, fairly broad. For some people in some nations, Russia is far less a threat. Hmm. Are they telling the Middle wow. East that that women ought to be treated equally to, to the right, mullahs in right, Iran? Right, no, right. We're saying that. Yeah, Russia's yeah. going, you can do whatever you want. And this, there's also this, too. I'm not even sure America as a nation agrees on what liberal democracy, how no, it ought yeah. to be. I mean, I mean no, part, of the, part of the polarization in our society today, you could argue, is different understandings of what the liberal democracy yeah, experiment right. is. Right, right. And I think there are people who will say who are on our our political left here in America, where this just almost seems a priori. Yeah. Right? Like, right. why would you not want this? Right. right? How could you not want this? Everybody wants this. Everybody wants this. And I think it's a real difficulty for people, you know, in cocktail parties in Manhattan and, right. and in L.A., when they meet people, like, I don't want that. Right. I, I don't want anything to do with that. Right. And, the, and, and, and then sometimes it just becomes sort of uh, a name-calling thing. Mm. Right? Well, you must be bigoted. You must be this. Right. You must be that. Uh, but I remember having a conversation with a Muslim uh, scholar one time, and he, we were talking about this, and this was during the Iraq war, mm. and this idea of bringing democracy to Iraq, mm. and this, that, and that. And he said, and he said, here's the thing. Again, this is a Muslim scholar. He said, if you study Islam, Islam, he said, in America, demo- liberal democracy is the thing in and of itself. Mm. It is the be-all, end-all. It is the thing. Right. He's like, in Islam, the thing is Sharia law. Mm-hmm. We can do democracy. We can do liberal democracy, but it can't trump Sharia law. Right. He's like, for you guys, the very thing that the the reason to be right. is liberal democracy. Right. He's like, and that's just not going to work. And I, maybe that's part of what we're getting right. at, right? I mean, when he said that to me, I just had this aha moment. Like, how do you resolve those two things right. together? And even in our own history, and you and I've studied this time period, Christians had to <clears throat> wrestle. Yeah. How do I bring Christianity and liberal democracy together? Right. I mean, you see this, see all the work that's being done in the 18th and 19th centuries right. to do this. It's hard work. It, it is hard work. It, it is know. hard work. Uh, but you you go to a culture that has a completely that's different right. intellectual past, different religious past, and it becomes downright 
impossible. Well, or it's, or it's antithetical, right? Because I it's think you're right. It's antithetical, yeah. It's, it's the very thing that would come in and destroy the very thing you're trying to hold on to. And whether or not, and I think they can easily, and I don't disagree with you, but I think you can easily say, well, you're just backwards looking. I think what what the our liberal, capital L liberal culture these days is trying to imagine is that the the way of tolerance and sexual openness, all of these things are not cultural. Yeah. That's just, it's just, it's a way to be normally human. And, yes. we, and we forget that, and, and it's funny to me because the, the work of Antonio Gramsci in the, in the middle part of the 20th century mm. to argue for hegemony being so dangerous, mm -hmm. hegemony of dictatorship and capitalism and free markets, that what the left is doing is actually expanding hegemonic influence and control that's as devastating to local cultures mm -hmm. as capitalism used to be considered yeah. during the middle of the 20th yeah. century. Yeah. But they're just, they think that, and I think this goes to just eschatological view, Hegel, which is what yeah. I think you're right to bring up, that there's a natural tendency right. towards these things That's right. that everybody wants, even if they don't know it. Yep. Maybe it takes a push and a shove in this way and that way, and we've got to sort of quiet some people on Twitter at some point and shut you down. But eventually, everyone will go in this direction, I think, is a, is a, is a Hegelian optimism naivety hmm. right? that could lead us down to the road to a really more dangerous war. Because, And I said this to students, if you think history is inevitably heading in one direction, <laughs> what would stop you? from pulling out every stop. Yes. I mean, there's no reason not to fight. Let's get it death. going. Let's you get might it as well. The history's going to take us there anyway. Yeah. So if you're in the middle of this dialectical moment from Hegel and you get to be the antithesis to the synthesis, yeah. Yeah. do it. Yeah. Or to the thesis, because the synthesis can be better anyway. Do whatever it takes. And I, and I fear for that sort of view without mm. realizing that some cultures don't accept that view of history. They don't accept the arc of history as bending no. towards justice. Or towards a Western view of they justice. Don't, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's that's something, again, I think if we were having this conversation at a coffee shop in in in, in Manhattan or Philly, uh, a lot of our liberal friends would be put, probably put off. Oh, my, I would saying, think right? so, yeah. And, and we're, not, we're just trying to make sense of it. Yeah. And, but th this is, this is, might be part of the reality we're dealing yeah. with here, right? And it's, it's hard to make this case, again, because Putin just seems to be such this right. evil guy. And, 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 you know, and we've talked about that before. But when we look at what's going on on the ground, that it's hard to kind of yeah. defend this idea, right? right. It, it really does feel like you're playing devil's advocate at right. some level. Right. But right. I think this is, this is the thing that um, for, for a lot of people in the West, um, Western democracy, Western sexual ethics, Western, this is just the, and they don't have the language for this, but they've imbibed this worldview that this is just the absolute and the humans yeah. finally getting over their alienation and we're yeah. just getting, you know, even the absolute is finally yeah. realizing coming, itself. Coming to, yeah. Exactly. And, and again, no, no one's, I don't hear anyone saying that, right? But that, that is <laughs> it's what, in the water. It's though. in the water. No, it's in the water. You. And where there are people who don't accept that, That's they right. reject that, and right. I think Putin is somebody who, even in some ways, rejects their communist past. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, he sees it as part of that West. Yeah, yeah. he yeah. sees that as a West. That was a mistake. That's right. That's you right. know, he he, did, right. he. I think he. I think. Uh, I think from what I can see from Putin is he liked the Soviet Union in the sense it brought the empire together, but he wasn't necessarily a fan of the politics, yeah, and he wasn't right. necessarily a fan of the ideology. That's right. You know, I think. Well, it wasn't. It was right. It gave Russia power, but it was it. So one thing that it's helpful to know, and I think what you're keying into, which a lot of listeners may not know, is the history of Russia is a tension between pro-Western and yeah. Slavophile. Yeah. So that Slavophile means to love the Slavic way of life yeah. and that culture. And, and the, the, you know, Peter the Great, who was the great Russian leader, pushed the country very far west. Ivan pushed the country east. And yeah. then Lenin comes in and, of course, brings in communism, which is a Western concept. It's a Western concept. And so Russia has this schizophrenic character to mm -hmm. it. And at this point, the pressure from, and I think in Putin's view, other than Stalin, who I think he saw more as a Slavophile than West gives him credit. Yeah. 
But Lenin and bringing communism nearly destroyed Russia. Mm. And, and Slavophile or the love of the Slavic culture and Easterners is what's going to save it. Yeah. That, that pendulum swing is now is, is fast accelerating to the Slavic side of this. And what I think, I think we need to consider as the possibility is that, number one, the war as it's going on might, in fact, strengthen the Slavophile argument. It, I think yeah, that's possible. Could. The more we talk down about Putin and Russia, the more he's able to build and curry favor by pro-Slavs. Um, of course, the, the dying soldiers are, are proving that people are trying are killing Russians, right? Mm -hmm. That's all that can build. So well, I, and even the language, right? You've got the, the liberal West are, are, are allies with Nazis. Right. That's the argument he's using, yeah, right? Right. Like, right. Um, and you've got a few of these, the Azov Brigade, they've got some of these in Ukraine that actually yeah. are playing out that rightist side of nationalism and confirming for Putin, whether it's propaganda or not. Sure. Confirming that, in fact, that's the way it's going. And I think that's a, that was something I picked up from our panel discussion that we were part of, uh, is just the power of the narrative of Nazism right. in oh, Russia. My. Because yeah. the same, and I think the best example I could give here is, uh, you know, you, if you want to shut someone down in America, they're a communist. Right. 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 Exactly. Bernie Sanders, he's a communist. Or you can say Confederate now. She's a communist. Well, now you can say Confederate. Yeah, you can say Confederate, right. You, you know, you, you, that's, that's the dirty word. He's <laughs> right. a commie, right? right? There's even uh, sitcoms that they right. got at this, right? Um, where, uh, what, the, what, what these men helped us understand is that in Russia, Nazi yeah, is that. Right. They're Nazis, right? right? Because right away that brings back that brings back memories Everything. of, yeah. of Eisengruppens ro roaming the countryside, murdering people in their beds. Right, right. You know, the Russians or the Germans just raping and pillaging their right. way to Stalingrad. Right. Right. And, and, and so that's, that's what's there. I mean, you know, we, we, I don't think anyone even knows how many people died in Russia during World War II. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely more than anything we saw. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's a powerful narrative. Yeah. That's and right. especially when you can say the West and the Nazis are now together. Yeah. Oh, we didn't like the West to begin with, but if they're connected with the Nazis, oh. Yeah. This is a, this is a, this. Is, of course, we're going to go. Yeah, to that's war. the persuasive part, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And if, right. And so as this all adds up, and if you if you really do grow the Slav following, which I think is partly World War One, was also the Tsar and Russia trying to connect the Serbia yeah. and the Serbian Bosnian problem is still is still a hot issue. So you got Slavs down there that don't feel the West has treated them well, yeah. that want to connect. So I guess the point here is that it, it doesn't seem to me like a very simplistic answer that Russia is going to simply just realize they're, they're out of touch and without allies. It seems to me that what's happening, whether we like to think it's so or not, is the longer this goes on, he's actually building allies. It could be. I mean, right. and, and, I, and I think the Hungarian election to me was really sort of threw me over. Yeah. Because I thought of, of the, all the times right now you would see Eastern Europe get terrified and simply just, you know, fall the other way. Right. Have now fall, fall, fallen towards Russia. Yeah. And, and I think that the longer you delay, the longer India delays without coming outside of the West. I, I think, and as you said, China, it just, it just seems like we're naive in thinking that the longer this goes on, Slowly but surely, Putin's isolating himself as a country, and sooner or later, Russia is going to be standing alone yeah. and going to collapse. It, I, I'm afraid this could actually go the other way. Well, and I think, too, that a lot of the Baltic states and the former Soviet states, they could also have sort of a Slavic feel for themselves. Yes, But that's right. they don't trust the Russians or the West. That's true. You know what I mean? But who, because, do they, who don't they trust more now? And, and you know, the European Right now, Union, it looks like they don't trust. Right now, they, because of what Putin's doing to Ukraine, it looks like they don't trust Putin, yeah, yeah. right? But I think what we got to realize is if you are Lithuania, if you are Poland, if you are some of these uh, Slavic states that had been under the boot of the Soviet Union, 
you don't trust the Russians either, yeah, yeah. right? So you might not like what's going on in the West. And, you know, Poland might say, hey, listen, these are our laws on sexuality. Yeah. We really don't care what you think. Yeah. We'll be part of NATO. We'll be part of the EU. Uh, but we're not going to go join Russia either because we know what that can lead to. Yeah. We live through that. And, and so I think you do have some of these well, Slavic states right that are trying to work this line of, uh, but there was even talk about this when, when, when President Biden went and met with the, the head of Poland and one of the people, you know, Poland and America have had some heated moments because of some of Poland's positions on right. abortion and, right. and, and sexuality. And of course now, you know, nothing brings people together than the common foe. Right, right. But I do think if you're, if you are Poland and you're Catholic Poland, you're saying, listen, I, I don't, I don't like what's going on in the West. Yeah. Um, but if I have to pick the lesser of the two, I, I can survive there. Yeah. Um, well, but, I agree with you. Although, you know, there are historical examples of, you know, maybe Italy in World War One is an interesting example. Um, yeah. You know, now Italy has always had a tough relationship with Austria, um, but they've also had a tough relationship with France. And as soon as the war begins, they see an advantage to jumping in bed with France and then alienating Germany. Yeah. And then they did it. Yeah. You know, probably very quickly, probably in a way that Austrian Germany didn't see coming. Um, and I, I think you're right. I think you're right. It makes sense because I think the big push in Eastern Europe has been a fear of Russian communism all over mm -hmm. again. But I, I, I wonder. I wonder as the European Union grows, and and here's here's the here's the dynamic because you can ask your we can ask ourselves this, Mark. Would Poland be more afraid of a militarized Germany or a militarized Russia? Great question. You know, because right now Germany is now militarizing for the first time since yes. 1945 yes. as a unified state. And if they do that and you're Poland, you might ask really weird questions like, I... Yeah. The last time Germany did this, this was... And, you know, the European Union, quite the frankly... Fr France should be very afraid. France, right. France still, should be. No, that's right. And and I think, you know, if, if you look back um, at uh, at the, what the European Union even has done, yeah. it's not won a lot of friends even in the European Union. Yeah. And Germany controls that through the bank. Mm -hmm. through the, and so... You've, now and economically, you, right? So now you militarize them because the other other EU countries don't have strong militaries right. because it's been NATO controlled. Yeah. So now Germany's the first one to jump into that and start yeah. militarizing quickly. How long before Italy and France go and Poland? I, I'm not happy about that. Yeah. I'm nervous. Yeah. So yeah. I think what we said at the beginning of this, I think we have to be aware of the fact, and I, I've said this, and I've I've seen it read, uh, I've read it having having it been written, is that this is the end of one era and the beginning of the next one. Yeah. We've, we've ended the bipolar or monopolar state, you know, you know, America dominance. Yeah. Now we're going to a multipolar, multivalent. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't, I really, from my perch as a good historian, I do not know where this is going. And this, 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 I can imagine certain scenarios here that are just unthinkable right now, which mm -hmm. in 10 years could be, oh, we all knew it was going to go that way. Um, there could there could be alliances here we don't know that, that could escalate into war. It could just escalate into the collapse of economies and takeovers. I mean, you could imagine China taking over parts of Western Russia, or yeah, well, or just, even if they just took over economically. Right, right. right. I mean, and, and there's another component to this, Doctor Spanger, that just keeps me up at night is the role of technology. Yeah. I mean, the fact today the story broke that Russia did try to do a cyber attack on Ukraine. Mm. Okay, this is this is part of it, but. Once you now you have this other tool at your disposal. Yeah. This is not the 1940s anymore. Yeah. This is a different world. This reaches so into yeah. Homes it does, in Iowa, and, yeah. and plus when you start marrying currency with the technology yeah. and crypto technology, yeah. cryptocurrency, I mean, we're just in a really new space. We're in sort yeah. of uncharted territory here, yeah. and I think that's scary to people. It's scary. Right? It's very scary to people. Um, where it seems like even in the height of the Cold War, we weren't quite there. Right. Um, but I, I think, yeah, you, you could see a very different 
you know, when we're old men looking back at this, we could see a very different alliance set up. Yeah. You know, NATO might not be a thing. Yeah. Um, it could, yeah, it could that, be that, something and else. And those alliance lines could be drawn across places we wouldn't have expected. Correct. I mean, you could have a situation where Poland and uh, Poland and France and Italy have a backdoor conversation yeah. Yeah. about something. I, I think <laughs> for Poland, I think if, 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 if Russia wasn't a threat, because really Russia is in the position Germany saw themselves in in World War II, mm-hmm. Having a Ukraine as a buffer is good for them, yeah, yeah. right? That you could see why they're so supportive of yeah. this, because if Ukraine is just part of Russia, guess what? They're the two big the two big yeah, countries that have right torn them apart the last toe, seventy yeah. years are are right there. That's they're right. on a two front war. That's right. Uh, and Germany was in the same position, yeah. right? They were in a two front war with with France and, and Russia. And, uh, yeah. Russia. And nobody wants that. No. Nobody wants to be on. So you'll see all sorts of maneuvering for yeah, that. That's right. Um, I think too the difference is the global economy. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it 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 sort of brings strained bedfellows together. Yeah. This global economy in the way it's set up. America's not the big dog that yeah, they once yeah. were. Um, it's not as if if you're in a cold war, you're either getting your guns from Russia or America. Yeah. You know, it's it could be. Anywhere. All over. And, I, and yeah. I think, you know, what what a lot of listeners may not be aware of was is the impact that the American dollar has had, not through yeah. force. And that, I think, is one of the arguments is that American colonialism, imperialism, let's call it that, has rarely happened at the tip of a gun, but it certainly happens at the other end of the cash register. Yeah. And the, the point is the American dollar, for, for what it's done, and we used to have arguments. I remember you, I took classes when I was in grad school on globalization and the globalization of the world market and America's dominance. And everyone was so angry that American dollars were determining how, you know, little families in Costa Rica were buying products or McDonald's in, in, in Iraq or something like that. But what I think we failed to realize is that dollar thing actually allowed sort of like a counterweight to yeah. this kind of a thing because yeah. countries wouldn't risk if they knew they would lose their economic holdings yes. in dollars. And so it kept countries from doing things. But whether that made America rich, and it did, but I think as, as one way of looking at it, America's wealth wasn't always a bad thing globally because yeah. it did create these counter, this ballast, if you and will. some stability. And some stability. But what I've, what I've read recently is that for the first time, some countries are dumping the U.S. dollar yeah. Yeah. as a way of trading natural resources. Yeah. Um, that they're actually trading trading now in rubles, not in in yeah. dollars, and that that just means that counterweight disappears now, mm-hmm. and now you've created loyalties where. Well, and you throw in cyber t- cyber currency. That's well, who a whole knows? Other who thing. knows? So that's good. Right. right, but all these currency things matter because yeah. Yeah. as countries don't feel that they're attached to years anymore, now they have a loyalty they have to protect. So mm-hmm. let's say they end up with rubles or yen or something like this. They have to now. Yeah. They can't risk not supporting Russia. Yeah. Because now they're not going to transfer back into another currency. It's all tied. So. So I just think there's so many of these pieces that are that are fluid right now mm. that I don't I don't know how we're going to see them set. I think like in the 1930s, you know, Mussolini, Hitler, like how is it all going to settle? The Spanish Civil War mm. is that going to? Some point, all the sediment hit the ground and we say, oh, that's the landscape. Yeah, I just think mm. there's so much falling right now that yeah. it's really going to be hard to see where this all and all I lands. And for Westerners, it is very hard for them. But again, go back to this sort of secular post-millennialism, this Hegelian right, like, right. that is in the water. It's almost impossible for them to imagine a world where right. the autocrats win. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's a great point. Yeah. They, 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 We've they, been celebebrating for decades. Yeah. They always lose. Exactly. In every movie, Mark. Yes. They the always lose. And, and, so and, they're going to lose now, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, it's, they do in the movies. Well, if they have a German or British accent, they usually lose. Oh, okay, good. Right. But the, the 
I was talking to someone the other day about this situation and they said, you know, we were church, church historians looking at the early church, looking at the, the, the fall of the Roman Empire, mm. what they did to people. Right. Oh my gosh, how does this, that the barbarians happen. are running the right. show. How is right. this possible? Um, you know, it, it's, so I think that's part of it. We, we have a real hard time imagining that anyone would want to live in an autocracy. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, everybody there really just wants to get out right. and have what we have if we give them the opportunity. And there are people that do. That's why they come here. Right. Uh, you know, China doesn't have an immigration problem. Like <laughs> yeah, we do. That's right. Nor does Russia. Yeah. Uh, so that, that makes sense. But I, I think this, the last thing I think maybe we talk on just the last couple of minutes is just this idea of just war. Yeah. Right. Because um, a lot of the conversation of this and the, the attacks on Russia is this was unprovoked. Right. Mm-hmm. That you there's this country that was not bothering you. Mm. They um, and then you attacked. You rolled right. it. It's unprovoked. And. And of course, um, Putin is enough a student of the West to know he has to come up with a way he was provoked. Yeah, yeah it yeah. can't just be unprovoked. Right. Um, I'm not sure that's gonna is that gonna matter either. Yeah. Down I, the yeah, line, I don't think so. I, I mean, to the West, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, is he, is he trying to court favor with some of these Eastern European countries who might believe him on the Nazi argument? Mm-hmm. Um, whether America does, maybe maybe that one, yeah, he probably knows he's not going to win that um, rhetorical war. But I think to your point, and this is something that I, f- I see in our students as we're talking here, is that there used to be a robust conversation around that. Like, yeah. like there's a reason to, there are reasons to go to war. At least you have to think through what those reasons are. And the, and the, the Christian tradition has always been that there is a level you hit where war becomes just. Now, yeah. we're in we're at South Central PA, so we're around... Pacifists, yes, who don't believe that ever line that line should ever occur. Correct. Um, we had Ron Sider here a couple of years ago. He was writing a book at the time about the past that all the early church fathers were pacifists, mm-hmm. or at least early early church fathers. And what he said was, if it comes down to it, and 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 you have a gun and I don't, if you kill me, then I'm a martyr to the faith. So almost seeing not not just standing up for the gospel, but also any nonviolence becomes another indication of my trust that God is going to do this right. and not us. That kind of radical pacifism, I think, is actually here in this area. Now, I, I don't know yeah. how well that would stand up if we invaded, and it might very well because they're very sincere, dedicated yeah, absolutely. people. Yeah, absolutely. But from that on one pole to being on the other side where we just declare war and we don't like the other guy is this broad middle ground called just war. Yeah. Where you have to decide when is the line crossed mm-hmm. that war is actually a godly responsibility. Sergeant York, the famous movie about World War I, yeah. about the pacifist that didn't want to go to war. But he did, and then he saw his friends getting killed and had a really interesting question. Me not fighting is killing more people than me fighting. Mm. And so he had a just war argument mm-hmm, in his head mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and made a fairly practical decision. If I shoot these, I forgot how many end up killing, 20 or 30 Germans, right. I'll save 150 of my own men. Right. The math works out. Image of God works out. I go in that direction. Right. So I think you're right. At this point, I think as Christians, we have to ask our, ourselves a question. Not only are other people using this as a model, but where do we as Christians finally yeah. say, the line's been crossed. We're not doing this for pragmatic reasons, or maybe those are the reasons. Yeah. There's a reason why this is the line, and now we get, need to get involved. Yeah, yeah. And we shouldn't automatically assume that just because some atrocities happen that America or the West will jump in. Correct. Um, there have been other cases where the West has taken their time to jump into right. those situations. But I think this idea is in just war theory. Um, this will be something that people will have to talk about if this thing co- right. continues to go. Where's the line for Christians? Uh, you know, I, we're also in an area where, you know, you get out of this county and everybody's armed to the teeth. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Who, you know, been waiting to use their <laughs> yeah. weapons. They're so kind of hoping Russia crosses the line. They're kind of hoping bond, Russia yeah. crosses the yeah. line or somebody. Yeah. <laughs> um, they've got all this ammo that all they right. just want to use up. 
Um, so you also have that too, yeah. where you know, almost like, well, if you're fighting for America, God's on America's side. We always have the white hats. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, so I think that's the other thing. I think we got to be careful with this too. I, I I was I read an article in the New York Times recently, and there's a phenomena happening of American veterans going to Ukraine to fight. Mm. Hmm. Uh, and some of them are going to fight. Some of them are going just to train. And the the, the, the author of the article, he, he interviewed a couple of these guys. And he said, well, why are you here? And they said, uh, I served in Iraq and Afghanistan. I did three tours in each place, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like I need to do this to absolve myself. Oh, interesting. So they're wrestling with this. This didn't seem like a just war. These didn't seem like just wars. Just in their minds. In their minds. And this does. Oh, that's interesting. And then I can somehow absolve my guilt but it was a fast out of wow, like mm. that is deep, right? <laughs> like You know what that sounds like to me, Mark though? That sounds like the Spanish Civil War to me. Like it's it's at that when these these communist groups were formed, including yeah. the, the was it was it Eddie Rickenbacker, was that the one? Um, where you had actually Americans joining up into yeah. a regiment and yeah. coming over to fight. And, yeah. and what's, what's interesting about that, if these patterns hold, is that now you've got people jumping on the side of a national estate. Yeah. Not, not that Putin's a communist on his yeah, side, but yeah. it was. We were fighting for con- they were fighting for communism. And yeah. thousands, tens of thousands poured into Spain to fight for the communists. They lost. Yes, yes, right? yes. To the nationalists. But it's interesting now that now there's a global cause for the side of a nationalist state yes, that people are pouring into. Yes. And if, if there is a connection, this is a scary one, yeah. because the Spanish Civil War yeah. was the precursor to World War II. Yep. Um, because enough people got invested on one side or another that issue yep. that they saw Hitler's rise not as a German thing but as a global problem. Yep. Nationalism, socialism was the problem. And I think what I what I try to talk students through when we look at the Spanish Civil War is that that created a paradigm globally. Media was now global. Everyone's yep. reading it. That if you're for the side of those issues, you become a nationalist and you're a Nazi and you're mm-hmm. evil. If you're for this, you're evil and you're a communist. Mm-hmm. Once you started seeing the world in those two terms, mm-hmm. now you'll fight to the death, right, yeah. for your side. Yeah. And and what I do see happening in Ukraine, and this to me is a bit bizarre, is Ukraine is now being transformed into an ideological global cause oh, yes. for the sake of democracy. Yeah. yeah. So that must mean if you're from now, if you're on Russia's side, you're being told you're anti-democracy and world peace. Yep. Now you're not going to take that and go, oh, I should change sides. Now you're yeah. going to go, no, you're against world peace. Well, and I think Ukraine has done a good job at framing this. Yeah. They've done it. I mean, their 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 media presence has been nothing short of amazing. Yeah. Uh, so they have framed this for the West. Yeah. And, this one. and it could be this, too. It could be this. When I, I, I growing up as a kid in a Jewish neighborhood, uh, I learned from talking to the old guys that in the late 30s, a number of Jews from America actually immigrated to Canada so they could enlist in the UK mm. army to mm. go fight the Germans. Mm. Uh, so you could have that. And then also in Philadelphia, sometimes the same neighborhood, mm. you had Germans who were second, third generation who went back to Germany to fight for the That's fatherland. Right. Right? right. So same yeah. neighborhood. Yeah. Two different, okay. So, so we had that. We yeah. had that in, yeah. in, in the 30s. Um, I'm, I'm hoping maybe this is more <laughs> like the Jewish people <laughs> fight, right? And not, well, we'll uh, see. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I think I think it was it's as confusing now as it would have been as it would have been then. Yeah. And I think hindsight dangerously is twenty twenty because all it tells you is what the past did, but it doesn't give you a good sense of how this is going to go in the future. No, and I, no. I I think probably that as a conclusion of this, um, while we've been trying to get at the context for how it started, there's also a context for how it's going to end. Yeah. And the context should tell us that this is going to go as we've been saying in directions that we can't predict. And I think it's time to pride. So we're talking with um, some high school students I was teaching, and they took the whole class and asked him about Ukraine, so I was talking through with them. 
at the end, they said, what do we do? And I said, look, of all the things we have to do, one thing we ought to be praying for is the church. Mm-hmm. Because right now the church is going to come under severe persecution. Yeah. And it's at times of persecution when the church at its, is at its strongest. Yeah. And it's where Christianity in Europe, by the way, mm-hmm. where, and you know, how is God going to use this mess? He redeems all kinds <laughs> of things. Right now you're seeing a mess where Europe is so non-Christian mm-hmm. that what if the church standing in this moment mm-hmm. sheds a new light of hope and redemption in that community? Yeah. You could see the same way the church stood up through the fall of Rome mm-hmm. and become the thing that Christianized Europe yeah. for the next 800 years. Or held Europe together. For, quite frankly, you could say, and I said, I said, I want to pray for everything going on, but I think we should be on our knees every day for the church yeah. there in Russia and Ukraine. Because if the church stands through this, mm-hmm. it could be that this is God using this to help bring Europe back. Mm. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. We don't know. But, don't but know. why aren't we praying for that? And yeah. I, not, not that the other issues don't matter, but I, I think that's something that ought to be on our hearts yeah, and, and minds. I think that's, that's, that's sort of the thinking Christianly about this. Yeah. And I think... Uh, the other side is really almost just expect whatever. Right, expect whatever. We just don't know. We don't know. We just, we just yeah. really don't know how yeah. this is going to play. It could very well end tomorrow with some settled peace, and this whole thing looks like a big to do about nothing. Right. Uh, or we could be talking about this in three years from now right. and seeing some very interesting realignments in world politics and global economics. Right. right. So, well, thank you very much. Yeah.